over the coming weeks, Pastor Josh and others will be walking us through Old Testament stories that many of us have heard since childhood, but may need to see with fresh eyes as they point us back to Jesus. We look forward to what God will do as we see these stories in a new light. I find myself this morning being in an emotional wreck, and I don't even know what that's going to mean for this sermon. I don't know what is going to unfold over these next 30 minutes, but it's just the the weight of, of the word today and the hope and the gospel that we see in Genesis 3. It is, it is the fact that today is Mother's Day, and for so many that is a joyous occasion, but also for so many that is one of the, the most uh, hurtful days of the year, and it's for a myriad of different reasons. And then there's this moment where we have all these children behind me and all the ones singing on stage, and it's not just the fact that they sound angelic, but they do. The fact that I was closing my eyes and I'm thinking, this is probably what heaven is going to sound like. It is these pure voices singing and declaring his praise. And then I think of the potential that stands on this stage and in those, those, those choir lofts and the fact that the songs that they sing, so many of them may not fully understand the words that they say, but I pray that those words would take root into their hearts. The fact, yeah, we give God praise for that, and it's this this idea that do we believe that Christ has come to set the captives free, that the chains are broken, and now we are restored to the Father. That is the gospel that they just sang to us this morning. And so I know many are here today because your baby was singing, and you're so proud, and you should be. But man, don't miss the gospel they were proclaiming to us boldly this morning. Uh, No doubt, this is a nerve-wracking thing if you've ever stood in front of people on any venture. But if you stand in front of, I'm guessing, close to 2,000 people this morning and everybody up here was cool as a cucumber, not a chance uh, a 9-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 39-year-old me is going to be that cool under pressure, okay? All that to say, I am so thankful that you are here. It is indeed Mother's Day, and I am thankful for my mom. I'm thankful for my wife, who is a mom, uh, and and all of the things that that unfold there. But every Mother's Day for about the last, I would say, nine years, I've read this this letter, as it were. It was a letter a letter to pastors to read to their churches, uh, and then it's kind of evolved into something, something else and something bigger, and I believe that it is right that it has. And so today I want to read to you the same poem that I've read for the last almost decade, uh, and it is called The Messy Middle, and it's written by a lady named Amy Young. Uh, and here is what it says. To those who gave birth this year with their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, fail adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointments. We walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We do not mean to make it harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. 
But to those who have disappointment and heartache and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who've lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hand of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who struggle, to those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you have longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you in these complex paths. To those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream not yet, we grieve with you. To those who will be empty nesters in the coming year, we grieve and celebrate with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint-hearted. We have real warriors in our midst. Today, we remember you and we love you. Church, would you join me as we pray this morning? Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And I thank you for all of these women in our midst today, every single one, that wherever we are on this journey of life, you know us and you see us, you love us and you have a plan for us. So Lord, I pray for those this morning who are rejoicing, oh God, may they rejoice in your provision. But God, I pray for those this morning who may be mourning deeply that the last thing they wanted to do was come to church on Mother's Day Sunday. God, I pray that you would be with them in their deep hurt. Remind them, Father, that you are faithful and you are good. God, but above all of this, above, above all of these things we pray, we pray that our eyes would be open to see you. Because, Father, we know, we know that when we see you, the rest of this life fades away. So, Lord, I pray that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. May my words this morning, as we open your words, proclaim that glory. May our eyes see your goodness. May our mouths taste your faithfulness. Oh, Jesus, we love you, and it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, as we get ready, and if you have your Bible, would you open to Genesis chapter 3? And, I, and as you're doing that, I can't help but remember a few months ago, and it was probably four months ago, it's about how long we go uh, prior to a sermon series that's going to come out. And, and I remember sitting in a room with some of, some of our ministers on staff, and, and what we'll typically do is, is we'll sit and we'll, we'll schedule out what, what the sermon schedule is going to be, what the preaching schedule is going to be. And, and so we, we typically don't start with, with 
themed series uh, and, and then find scriptures to fit it. We, we don't usually go that route. Typically we'll go, here's the scripture we want to cover, and then we theme it out from there. We, we want the scriptures to drive where we are going. And, and usually we try not to, to allow even the calendar to dictate what, what, what is going to happen on those days because we want the word of God to speak when it's going to speak. And so we got really excited about going back to the stories that help shape our faith. And, and it was going to be a 10-week series. And I remember us sitting in this room and everybody is all excited about all the stories, the accounts of Genesis, uh, and, and even some outside of Genesis that we're going to see that are going to show us the bigger picture of really the children's stories that we've learned so long ago. And I remember after this meeting, it's been about an hour in and, and everybody's just on top of the world. We can't wait as a church family, as leadership to get to this moment. And I remember there, were, there was a fellow who raised his hand and said, hey, pastor. I said, yeah, bud. He said, hey, um, I, know, I know we're not letting the calendar dictate anything, but, but hey, you know when Mother's Day is? I said, yeah, it's May 8th. He goes, yeah, you know what you're preaching on Mother's Day? And I looked down and I said, Genesis 3. He said, so you're going to sit there on Mother's Day and tell all the women it's their fault that sin entered the world? <clears throat> and I said, no, because it's not only their fault, but here we are. And we find ourselves in this word this morning, and I pray that you do not hear any blame being given. Hopefully what you hear is the beauty and the redemption and the grace of our Father in heaven through his Son, Jesus Christ. But this chapter holds a lot, a lot. Not, and right now I've talked for eight minutes, and now I've, I've, I've missed eight of those minutes to dive in. So, so here it is. There is going to be a lot left over. Remember, this series is not about Genesis. This series is about the stories that have shaped our faith. And so after we get finished today, you're going to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, what about this? What about that? There's going to be a lot left on the vine today, but we are going to dive into the good stuff, I believe, of the gospel that we see in Genesis chapter 3, okay? So as we jump into this, go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read a lot of scripture and then slow down towards the end, okay? So let's start. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, if you're saying, Josh, verse, verse couple of these verses, they're important. If you want a detailed sermon, go back to last summer. We covered the first eight verses on June 21st of last year. We'd love for you to go back there and then, then gain the uh, expositional understanding of what this is, okay? So let's just read through it and get our context. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, garden neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that what you eat of, once you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave, uh, gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard 
the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from their presence, uh, from the presence of the Lord God and among the trees of the Garden of Eden. Now, church, this is us. This, this is the story. This is the account of how we became who we are. Okay? So, so as we look to this, if we allow the enemy or we ourselves to, to cause doubt and then in that doubt believe that doubt, here are some of the things that potentially will well up in us. We don't necessarily believe that God will keep his promises. That God is keeping something good from us, that his word isn't true, and the penalty for disobeying God really isn't all that bad. Those four things that we see in those first eight verses are the things that sunk Adam and Eve in the beginning and still are sinking mankind today. Because of this fall, because of our sin, shame has come to us and our eyes have been opened to it. So, so what do we do? Well, we do everything in our power to cover our shame. Adam and Eve chose fig leaves, the largest leaves in the garden, and they sewed many of them together, and they took the biggest leaves and made the biggest covering they could because they didn't want each other to see the other one's shame and guilt. Then what did they do? When, God, when they heard the Lord God walking, they hid. They didn't want him to see them. They didn't want him... To, to know what, what they had done. And church, we are still doing the same thing today. Because of our sin, because of where our doubt has led us, we do everything in our power to cover our shame so others can't see us for who we truly are, and we attempt to hide from God. But here's how the Lord pursued Adam and Eve. Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? So God is, is asking this question not to get information. He knows exactly what is going on. It is more of a question of why are you hiding, Adam? The Lord is leading Adam, hear, hear this, the Lord is leading Adam to confession, to take ownership over his mistake and to repent because it's in those things we find restored relationship with God. Now, look what happens. He's leading him to confess, to own, and to repent. But sin had already taken hold in Adam's heart. Instead of confessing and owning and repenting, he shirks his responsibility. He passes the blame, and he passive-aggressively attacks everyone around him, including God who stands before him. Look at verse 12. This is, this is Adam's response to God. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. All right, let's take three seconds right there. Adam and Eve will go on to live another 950 years. You think that conversation is going to show back up? <laughs> I cannot believe what you said about me in front of God. Like, I, the fall must have been really, really, really bad if this is the first account that we get of it. Look, he, he, what he is supposed to do is own the mistake and ask the Father 
to forgive. But instead, this is what sin does to us. We try to to shirk our responsibility. We pass the blame and we do not repent. And instead, it's everybody else's fault and it's never ours. That's not just Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. That's us today, May 8, 2022. We are still doing this today and life is unraveling because of it. Verse 13, then God says to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the woman does the exact same thing that Adam did. Deflects, passes blame, makes excuses. But from this moment, the Lord hands out his punishment. He's going to hand out the the cursing that is going to come, but he's also going to give out great grace. Look at verse 14 with me. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Then we get to verse 15. Verse 15 is called the first gospel message. It is what we see that from the beginning that Christ was never plan B, he was always plan A. That from the beginning of time, this is what is going to happen, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So he's speaking not to Adam, that's going to come in a minute. He's speaking to the serpent right now. He's speaking to the tempter right now. And he is going to put enmity between he and Eve. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, if we're not careful and we're just reading, that looks like just kind of flowery language. It's actually poetry here in Genesis. But don't miss at what is, what is being said here, that, that what God says in this moment as he is pronouncing cursing to the serpent. He is telling him how he is going to die, and it will be through the seed, not of man, but of woman. That's a big deal. Because we don't have time to get into the biology lesson today. But typically the seed comes from man. And what we see here is that it's going to be something different. And that's why the fact that Mary immaculately conceived not of Joseph, but of the Spirit of God. Because of that reason, she now bears the Son, the one of promise, who is going to come and destroy the tempter who destroyed everything. So when you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see the first mention of the promised Messiah that will come. And when he comes, he is going to crush the serpent's head. But don't miss it. The serpent is going to strike him and take him. Oh, but he will not win. We see something better, something beautiful, even in the first cursing. The Lord God has not even talked to Eve yet. He's not talked to Adam yet. He's only spoken to the serpent, and we see the first gospel account. But verse 16 is where we see sin's curse brought to Eve. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So here we see sin has messed everything up. The consequences of sin have affected everything, but especially the things that we love the most and hold most dearly. Did you catch it? Back in Genesis chapter 1 and then Genesis chapter 2, if you read that last week, what you see is when God creates man and woman, he creates them with specific affinities. He created the man to work the earth, but the work wasn't going to be hard. It was just going to be good. Why would he work the earth so he could take care of and provide for his family and all that was trusted to him? That's God's design for man. What is God's design for woman as we see in Genesis 1 and 2? It is to be fruitful and to multiply for her to be the helpmate of Adam and to take care of the children that God has blessed her with and to have many and many and many children. You may sit here today and you say, well, Josh, that's just not the way of the world. Let me explain to you why. The further we get from Genesis 3, it is no longer the way that the world wants it to be. Let me show you. Because the curse of sin for Eve attacked two things. It attacked her childbearing. So when we read it, it says her childbearing will be painful. And we think, well, just in the moment of giving birth, and then that's why it's painful. No, no, that wording is so much bigger than just in the moment that, that the baby is coming into this life. This is the idea of, of being able to have children. Sin has affected our ability to continue the image of God bearing in this world. And to her husband, whom she was created to love and to give help to, the curse said, she will no longer have a desire to do that. But she will want to lead and do what he is supposed to do. Now, before somebody raises up in here and says, yeah, this is 2022, preacher, get with the program. I'm just telling you, that's why there's still a desire deep inside your heart, no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, that there is something in you, men, that you must provide, and women, that you want to have kids and you want to love them well. It is designed in you. And the reason we are the way that we are is because so much of life has affected us. The sinfulness of this life, the trauma that we've experienced has caused us to rise up and to try to protect ourselves and say, I will be better. But the issue with that, it doesn't matter how successful you, you are, how great you become in your field, no matter what you are doing. If we are outside the design of God's plan for our life, we will never be fulfilled in it. This is sin's curse for Eve. The issue, though, is that the created design never goes away, and sin continues to become rampant. That's the great tension in this life. That's why Mother's Day is one of the hardest days of the year for so many women. They desire in them to be a mom, and that has not been met. And it is heartbreakingly hard. But sin's curse didn't just affect Eve. 
it affect Adam as well. Look at verse 17. And he, God, said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Going back to Genesis 1 and 2, man was created to work the ground and enjoy the fruits that he has created for him and his family. Now, because of sin's curse on Adam, that work is going to be incredibly hard, filled with thorns and thistles. Adam was created to be the provider for his family. Sin's curse will always remind him he is not enough. Many of you ever wondered why that narrative continues to play in your mind and heart? This is too hard. I can't do this. I'm not enough. That's sin's curse on us. And now that the curse has been made clear and the pain of that reality has set in, God meets them with great grace. I want you to look at verse 20. The man called his wife Eve. Now up until this point, I've been using Adam and Eve, but really, it's not until this verse that Eve gets a name. Because up until this moment, she's just the woman. And Adam is technically the man because man is Adam. But Eve doesn't mean woman. Eve means mother. God's great grace to Eve is that she will be the mother of all living things. Verse 21. And God and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Church, we could spend weeks on this verse, but we won't. But it would also be too easy for us just to read past this verse and miss the magnitude of it. Remember where we picked up today. Man and woman have sinned. In that moment, when they ate of the fruit, their eyes were open to what they had done. And in an attempt to hide their sin and shame, they pulled fig leaves from the tree and they sewed them together completely insufficient in the same way that they were now completely insufficient. But God in his grace gives them clothes Clothes that if you're reading this in, in, in original context, it isn't just clothes that are covering important parts of the body, but it's going to be clothes that cover them from the neck to the feet. God covers them completely, made from what? Skins. How did God get those skins? What had to happen for the animals to give their skins? They had to die. Don't miss the gospel in Genesis. Something innocent had to die to cover something that was sinful. And so God in his grace kills an innocent animal, takes the skin, covers the shame of Adam and Eve, and now gives them reprieve. 
The problem with this sacrifice, as it will go on later to be called, is that it is only temporary. It only lasts for a short time. Those skins wear out. And then they have to do it again and again and again and again. And it gets exhausting because each time it is a reminder of man's insufficiency, but yet God is still good. But in this moment, God gives grace to them. He takes the life of the animal, covers them with skin. And this would be the new way moving forward with God's creation. They would spend their lives looking for ways to cover their guilt and their shame. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now least, uh, now, now, now least he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, if we went back to Genesis 1 and 2, there are not just one important tree in the garden, there are two. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one that they were not supposed to eat of, but they did. And then there's another one called the tree of life. And if they're to eat of that tree, then they're going to live forever. And what we see here is God's great grace extended towards humanity. If they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and of the tree of the knowledge of life, or the tree of life, they would live forever in that broken state. So God made sure that they would, they would not have to suffer in this sinful and broken state forever. So this is what he did, verse 23. Therefore, God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which it was taken. He drove out the man at the east end of the, the Garden of Eden and placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. If you were just to read that last verse, it feels like God is harsh and angry, but God is gracious. Because it's in that moment, yes, they do have to leave the garden. They do have to leave the place that was designed for, for them from the beginning because of their sinful act. But God in his grace set up a guard with a flaming sword, follow along the narrative of the New Testament, which is the truth that is going to keep them from hurting themselves eternally. Because he's already made the promise that from the seed of woman is going to come one who is going to destroy the serpent, who is going to kill the accuser. And now they are out, covered, but out. And that's where Genesis 3 ends. But that's not the end of the story. Quickly, I want you to turn to Revelation 22. As our worship team comes back out and... I don't know if I've been more excited about Genesis 3 or Revelation 22 today. Because I think, as Adam and Eve are leaving the garden on that day, no doubt they are going to have a long time, another 900 years plus, to think about what have we just lost. They lost everything. Would they ever be able to return to this beautiful place? Would they ever be invited back to eat the tree that was going to be reserved for them in the tree of life? Would they ever get another opportunity to come back and come back in right relationship with the Father and eat that tree and be with him forever? And the answer is yes. 
Revelation 22, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as the crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree for were the healing of the nations. No longer will they be anything accursed. Did you hear what that said? There is coming a day that all the curse will be removed. There'll be a day that we stand with our king in glory and we come to that tree and we find the healing that we have been looking for with every breath that we have ever drawn into our lungs. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp or sun for the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim in the Hebrew, the same word that is mentioned in Genesis 3 will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and he said to me these words are trustworthy and true and the Lord God of the spirits of the prophets he has sent his angel to show the servants what must take place soon and behold I am coming soon blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book I John so this is this is gospel writer John who received the revelation I John am the one who heard and saw these things And when I heard and I saw them, I fell down and worshiped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets, with those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. The filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right. And the holy still be holy. Here's where it gets good, church. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And you say, Josh, that doesn't sound good. I've done a lot and it's not good. I don't want to be repaid for what I've done. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and that they may enter into the city by the gates. All right, here is where application comes in today. One day the Lord is going to come back. That is going to happen. And it is going to be a great and terrible day. Because what he tells us here in in Revelation 22 is that we are going to be judged according to our deeds, what we have done. I will not even do the show me your hands, but I don't think there would be any soul in this room nor on this planet who would think I have done enough. And then all the things that have gone wrong in our life, we would say, I am terrified of what I'm going to have to stand for when judgment comes. Verse 14 just said, blessed are those who have washed their robes. 
so that they may have right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the gates. So church, what I'm asking, have you done the robe washing? Another way to hear that. Have you put on the new skin provided by the person in the work of Jesus Christ? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Because if you have, you are now welcomed in to the holy city where you can come and eat of the tree of life and find healing for all things that are broken and restoration for all things that were cut off. Verse 15, here's the other end of that. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 16 and following. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bride and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the ones who hear say, come. And let the ones who who are thirsty, come. Let the ones who desire take water of life without price. Church, what do you desire today? Do you desire life? Do you desire forgiveness? Do you desire restored relationship with the Father? Listen to me, you cannot do enough to get you there. We are so broken, sin's curse has affected everything about our life. But hear me, on the most intimate of levels, it has affected us, male and female, it has affected us. We can't fix what's broken in us. So Josh, what do we do? We throw ourselves at the mercy of the only one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the question is, church, have you put your hope and trust in him? Ladies, you may find yourself today as this being a really hard day. I'm not asking you to go home and hide in your shame and in your guilt. I'm asking, have you taken that pain to the Lord and said, Lord, it's yours? Men in this room, providers, what God has called us to be, but yet the insecurity of Adam's curse is still on us. Have you taken that insecurity, that not enough nature, and gone to the Father and the personal work of Jesus Christ and said, it is yours, take it and redeem it? Because until we do, we will never truly understand what it is to be image bearers of God. Sin will still have its grip on our life. Sure, you may be able to act the part, try harder, do better, dress up nice, don't say bad words when people are around, whatever. But in the core of your being, you will know that something is off. And I'm begging you, the word of God says, all who would come should come. All who are thirsty come and he will give you light. He will give you water in a way that you will never thirst again. That is the invitation that is open for you today. This has been a production of Broadmoor Baptist Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others and don't forget to subscribe. To help us spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe as well. They can find us wherever they prefer to get their podcasts. And if you'd like more information about Broadmoor, please visit our website at broadmoor.org or connect with us on your favorite social media platform where we're listed as at my Broadmoor. Thanks for listening.